1: I have an announcement. Uh Tyler will be the starting quarterback in the game against the Steelers on Sunday. It's a great accomplishment just to be in consider in in the game of the Ravens versus the Steelers. Uh you just grow up seeing that on T V, uh just the legendary games that went on and um and it's so it's so crazy and a blessing.
2: You know, I'm trying to be out there, whatever uh, degree that is, uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm trying to get to 100%. I know I keep saying, talking on both sides of my mouth here, but there's just so many variables that go into these decisions and
3: you're trying to be out there. I, I, I want everything in my body to be out there, but you, know, you gotta be smart
1: at the same time.
3: Can you just describe what this week has been like for you overall, personally, professionally?
1: Oh, there's been a bunch of them worse, and there's
4: been a hell of a lot better. Co said, right. "Get the f- out of here." I'm like, "Yo, f- you guys too." I'm taking off your logo. I'm not wearing it f- no more. I threw it. My and f- the drilling got so high, I just got too sexy for my clothes. <laughs>
2: oh boy, Antonio Brown. Hey, Miles, <laughs> I'm on record. I'm on record. All week long, before we even knew that Bruce Arians told Antonio Brown, get the F out, I'm on record. Somebody comes to me and tells me I'm done before the end of the day. If I'm working in an office, I'm leaving then and there. And if I did have the same physique as Antonio Brown, I would (laughs) remove my shirt on the way out the door. I would be too sexy for my suit at that point. To go back to a song that probably is – Almost as old as you. Oh, right no, Mike. said Fred. That's not, oh
4: boy. We gotta get you we gotta get you up on the on the newer Drake track, bro. That's really what he's talking about. It's not just the right said Fred, which obviously is sampling the right said Fred, I'm too sexy, but he is referring to the Drake song from earlier this year, Mike. So just That's why it's good to have somebody on here who's probably, you know, in the 30 demographic, so that we can make sure that we're hitting the right cultural notes here.
2: (laughs) I used to have somebody in the 20s demographic. I don't know what happened. I don't know what happened. (laughs) Now I have somebody in the 30s demographic.
4: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Time happened. It's another Friday closer (laughs) to death right here on 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 PFTV.
2: Happy New Year. By the way, by the way, I am officially launching and I've made it clear all day long. Radio in Miami, in Philly. I did my Playmakers podcast earlier today. I am officially pushing back against the pushback regarding the it's too late to say Happy New Year. I think that in this world in which we currently live, any well wishes to anyone should be accepted whatever the back end is. Other than happy appendectomy, happy (gasps) anything— should be welcomed and embraced. I don't care what the calendar says. Happy Thanksgiving, Miles. Whatever it is, whatever it is. So I'm done. I'm done with the, it's too late to say Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Happy (laughs) Friday closer to death.
4: You just said so. This is weird, and you know. So you just said appendectomy, and you don't want to necessarily say happy happy appendectomy. But a couple of hours ago, I saw on Facebook that a childhood friend of mine has apparently gotten a vasectomy at the age of thirty. So happy vasectomy.
2: <laughs> well, yes, and and I wonder if you get a deal if you do a vasectomy and an appendectomy in the same procedure. Do they do that? One. Do they stack them? I don't know. Can you bar? I don't Why know. can't you can you can negotiate pretty much anything else. Why can't you negotiate your surgical procedures? Well, you know, I, I have a couple of elective procedures I could do on top of the one that I need. Like I need the appendectomy. If I throw in a vasectomy, do I get Can you? a hey doc? Can you can you give me a deal? All right. Uh, let's move on to things yeah, far hopefully. less <laughs> trivial than our bantering. We haven't had a chance to banter in a while. When did we last banter? Yeah. Did we? It was know. Wednesday, we but it's different on a Friday. No, it's different on a Friday. It's like the, the, yeah. the first time in weeks on a Friday when we just don't it's give true. a. I almost said it. I almost said it.
4: When we just don't <laughs> give a crap. It's uncomfortable, Mike. <laughs> yeah. No, it's true. It's been it's been a few weeks since I've done a Friday show. That's probably yeah. you know we had Christmas, we had New Year's, so yeah, it's good, good little Friday banter to kick things off here at five p.m. Eastern.
2: And really, it. It's better to listen to us, not by much, than to listen to Kyle Shanahan trying to build some goofy-ass mystery about who his quarterback's going to be. Well, Reportedly, segue. Jimmy Garoppolo will get the start, but Shanahan, he's not telling anybody. I don't have to... I think he said the other day he's not, he's not going to let anyone know. He may not even make a decision until the game starts. I mean, come on. It's going to be Jimmy Garoppolo. Surely it's going to be Jimmy Garoppolo. Does he really think that he's going to put... Some sort of a Jedi mind trick on the Rams and they're going to, to dilute their attention with their Trey Lance package and their Jimmy Garoppolo package? No, they're going to be ready for Jimmy Garoppolo. They know it's going to be Jimmy Garoppolo. It would be a stunner at this point if it's not. But the stakes are high. 49ers need to win this one to get in. Rams need to win this one to win the division. And more importantly, they need to win this one to knock the 49ers out. You don't want the 49ers rolling into SoFi Stadium in a playoff game. Not the way that the 49ers play against the Rams.
4: Yeah, no doubt. And and it's interesting too, because there's a way that the 49ers and Rams could play in back-to-back weeks. So you don't really want that to happen um, if you're the Rams. So, uh, you know, you just, you want to make sure that those dudes are out of it. Right. And you want to make sure that you are in it and you're playing your best football and you get that second overall seed. But I I really don't think that this is going to be some sort of easy game for the Rams. I mean, I think, We all know how well San Francisco has played Los Angeles over the last few years. Jimmy Garoppolo actually has not lost a start. To the Rams. Now, one of those starts, he's 5-0, and one of those starts came in 2017 when it was week 17 and the Rams were resting all of their starters, so I don't know how much we really want to play into that, but there is something that really goes well with Jimmy Garoppolo playing against the Rams and the way that Kyle Shanahan knows Sean McVay how to defeat that defense. It's going to be a really interesting game, I think, this week.
2: Yeah, it's funny. Shanahan and McVeigh were together in Washington, and it is obvious that Kyle Shanahan learned a lot more about Sean McVeigh during their shared time together than McVeigh learned about Shanahan because Shanahan has dominated McVeigh. But McVeigh's the one who's made it to a Super Bowl. McVeigh's the one who's got the better team now. And I'm sure the 49ers would still rather play someone else, especially since the Rams have won five games in a row, and they won the last two without playing very well. This is going to be a tough, tough battle. For the 49ers to get in and the other teams in the postseason field with the exception of the Buccaneers who probably don't want to see the Saints the 49ers and the Rams the Rams don't want to see the 49ers and other teams in the NFC field don't want to see the 49ers because they're capable of beating anyone in the current NFC playoff field miles.
4: Yeah, I, I definitely think so. Look, I mean, you get uh, Nick Bosa going against any sort of offensive line pass protection, he can really, really wreck somebody's day. And the way they run the football with Elijah Mitchell with Samuel and the way he can also make plays in the passing game, they are a dangerous team going into the postseason. So, yeah, this is one that they obviously need in order to get there. And I really don't know if they're going to win or not, but I kind of think that they will, Mike. I really do.
2: The Baltimore Ravens will go forward this weekend with Tyler Huntley as the starting quarterback. Lamar Jackson will miss his fourth straight game with an ankle injury. Um, I asked Von Miller last week after the Rams beat the Ravens how Huntley and Jackson compare and and he thinks there still is a gap between the two because some people are thinking maybe Tyler Huntley can play his way into this job that maybe you know he's a more affordable option and they don't know what's going to happen with Lamar's contract and they can't really get Lamar's attention to engage and negotiate but here's the reality he has hurt himself this year by not doing a deal before the season now the Ravens are going to be a little more leery a little more hesitant, and they have a built-in alternative in Tyler Huntley who has proven himself. The first order of business for Lamar, for Lamar Jackson after this season should be to hire an agent and stop the bleeding because he's in a lesser bargaining position than he would have been before the season. And he needs to get it turned around before he goes into the the option year of his rookie contract.
4: Well, the other thing, too, is that at this point, I'm just not necessarily certain that I'd pay Lamar Jackson $40 million a year, right? And I don't think that that means Baltimore doesn't want Lamar Jackson. Lamar Jackson's a great player. When you see him play, he is a great player, but he was not great over the last few weeks of the year. I mean, it just, his last few starts, we just did not see the same kind of quality player that I think we've all come to expect from Lamar Jackson. I mean, you think about it, in his last seven starts, completion rate 62% through eight touchdowns to 10 interceptions, also took 25 sacks. And even though he rushed for 426 yards, it's five and a half yards a carry. And when he was the MVP, he was at 6.9. So you can't say the performance hasn't dipped. And I think that when you're talking about maximizing value as a player, that's what you always want to do. The time to get that contract done was last Offseason. Right. After that Josh Allen deal, Mike, you've said this before. Basically, Lamar Jackson could have said, taken that contract and slapped it on the table of Eric Costa and been like, hey man, give me this. Or give me a little bit more than this because I've won an MVP and Josh Allen hasn't. And at that point, that's probably when it should have gotten done. It didn't. And now if I'm the Ravens, you can really kind of say, oh, man, I, I don't know if we're going to give you 40 million a year right now. I don't know. I just don't know if they're going to do it. 16 touchdowns, 13 interceptions this year. It's not The same kind of numbers we were looking at in the 2021 offseason.
2: And I think all the way back to week one, the Sunday Splash report from Shefty, that goofy myth-making with Lamar Jackson. He's so locked into football, he won't negotiate his contract. He's not thinking about his contract. All the more reason to hire an agent. That's why you do it, right? I'm focused on my job, so there's stuff around my house that isn't getting done unless I hire someone to do it. I mean, I hey, I'm sorry, sorry, honey. I can't, you know, I can't cut the grass because I'm so locked onto my job. That's fine, but the grass isn't going to get cut unless I hire someone to cut the grass. And Lamar Jackson isn't going to get a contract done, which needs to be done, if he doesn't hire someone to do it for him. And this whole penny wise pound foolish nonsense, spearheaded by guys like Russell Okung and Richard Sherman, it is poisonous to these young players who are too young, naive, and inexperienced to understand that yeah, they don't want to pay one, two, three percent to an agent. But if that agent is going to get you a much larger pie and get it now so that the net that you have, so that 97 percent of the much larger pie is more pie than you're going to get on your own. How hard is that to understand? But there's this weird subculture among some players, and they're trying to push it. It's not enough for it to be This is my decision, and it's good enough for me. Guys like Bobby Wagner, their attitude is this is my decision, it's good enough for me, and it kind of worked for him. He was able to negotiate a good contract for himself with the Seahawks. But the guys like Okung and Sherman who are trying to push it onto others, that is dangerous, that is poisonous, and it may have contributed to Lamar Jackson waiting and waiting and waiting to the point where he's now losing money, he's lost money, he's lost bargaining position, and good luck, good luck finding a middle ground. I think what's going to happen, Miles, same thing this year as last year. And the Ravens have no reason to push this. Go ahead. $18.8 million for 2022. And who knows what happens in 2023, especially if Lamar Jackson doesn't have a better 2022 than he had 2021. And if he gets injured more and Tyler Huntley develops more, they, it sounds like a hot take. There is a way these dominoes fall where the Ravens just say, Lamar, you're, you're a free agent and we've got Tyler Huntley.
4: There is. Yeah. I, I mean, like that's still, you know, another year down the line, um, but I think that there is definitely a scenario in which that happens, especially if Lamar Jackson does not have a bounce back season next year. But I, I really don't think that Baltimore is just keen on saying like, yeah, And Lamar stinks now we're just going to get rid of him like I I don't feel that way at all and I don't think that that's the way from everything that they've ever said it doesn't seem like that's how they feel it really seemed to me like last year they felt like at some point in the offseason there was going to be a good negotiation and they would get a contract done I mean I I remember here in DaCosta and Harbaugh both talk about how they love Lamar Jackson they want Lamar Jackson to be a Raven for the long term but it just didn't happen and I I think what you're saying about you know how they weren't able to really get Lamar Jackson's attention and get him in the room and you know make sure that that thing got done that's kind of where if there is a disconnect and I hesitate to use that word like if, if there's a real reason why it didn't get done then that's kind of why I guess I would say but I, I don't think that that means they're going to push him out the door I, I mean obviously the better Lamar Jackson plays the better it is for the Baltimore Ravens because it means that they're closer to competing for a championship. But when you look at the performance over the back half of the games that he played this year, Lamar Jackson did not get it done at a level where you'd say, yes, it's a no brainer that you give him 40 million plus a year for a long term deal.
2: Just more awkward for everyone involved when you don't have an agent to be the go between. So conversations can happen. Tough things sometimes need to be said. It's a very, very difficult spot for the Ravens to be in. And They haven't been able to move this thing off of square one. In Cleveland, there is lingering concern and questions about whether or not Baker Mayfield will be the long-term quarterback. And in recent days, there's been some dust-up, some reporting from Mary Kay Cabot of the Cleveland Plain Dealer, who has been covering that team forever, regarding the possibility that Baker Mayfield has some dissatisfaction as it relates to the relationship with Kevin Stefanski, the state of the offense. So... With that as the background, Kevin Stefanski confronted today, during, not confronted in an angry way, but asked the question today about the relationship between himself and his quarterback, Baker Mayfield.
1: What is your relationship with Baker now is different than last year. Yeah, I would say it's, it's no different, uh, Jeff. Good relationship.
2: I don't know. Say what you got to say, right? Do what you got to do. I don't really – well, I don't know what that is. J.J. Watt all of a sudden shows up onto the screen uh, with the uh, back, by the way. We'll get to that, I think, at some point. But, um, I, I, you know, look, Kevin Stefanski's got to say what he's got to say. Yes. Uh, he's not going to come out and say it's a completely dysfunctional relationship right now, and I don't know what I'm going to do. Do any of you have advice on how to handle this guy? <laughs> You've seen how he can be, right? But, but see, right. my my take on this has been – We've seen just enough flashes of that prickliness. And I'm not calling him the word without the L-Y when I say he's prickly. Let's be important. It's, I'm saying he is prickly, not he is a never mind. But Got it. we've seen enough of it to cause the reasonable person to say, boy, I bet he's a handful behind the scenes i bet he's not bashful about speaking his mind and making demands and it's fine if you got pelts on the wall or the horse or wherever the pelts properly go sims and i debate that all the time if you're winning championships you can get away with it when you're a middle of the pack guy at best can't get away with it and there's going to be a point where the organization says maybe we can do better and even if we don't do better maybe we can have someone else here that removes some of the drama that's been lurking
4: behind the scenes well, I mean, they have Case Keenum, right? I mean, how if, if they just gone with Case Keenum instead of Baker Mayfield, how many games would they have won? And Case Keenum at least takes care of the football for the most part, right? Would he throw four picks against Green Bay? We'll never know really the answer to that. But I, I think, you know, when you got a QB who is of the generation that he is, you know, he's a young dude and he is prickly. That's, that's his personality. He's always been that way. It's part of what made him a number one overall pick because he just has that attitude of, look, I'm going to be me. I'm going to do whatever I have to do um, to be successful. And then he calls out Mary Kay Cabot for saying it's clickbait. And look, Mary Kay Cabot has basically been covering the Browns for almost as long as I've been alive. And this has been longer, I believe, than Baker Mayfield's been alive. And it's not, you know, so I just, when you get the cavalcade of, Also, uh, old Browns QBs coming after it, like, quote tweeting that. And you get Brandon Whedon being like, oh, yeah, it's true. And Deshaun Kaiser, of all people, being like, yeah, it's true. Mary Kay, eh. Like, these dudes are terrible quarterbacks. I'm sorry, was Mary Kay supposed to say something nice about Deshaun Kaiser when they're going 0-16? You know, and Brandon Whedon's not doing anything but throwing picks and overthrowing guys. Is Mary Kay supposed to write something nice about you? what's going on here? So this whole thing was just like weird to me. And as it relates to Kevin Stefanski, man, I, I don't know what he's supposed to say either. Other than that, I mean, that's not a very long sentence that, that, or not a very long answer there. So we'll see what happens. But to me, I, I don't even know that like Baker Mayfield really looked terrible with that reporting from Mary Kay Cabot. Cause there clearly were issues on offense and with the way that the things were handled behind the scenes this year, that that's not a secret. So yeah, I mean, he's kind of taken his power back and if he wants to request a trade, he certainly has the right to do so.
2: That's a good point, miles because the report from Mary Kay Cabot that set off Baker Mayfield, that if he doesn't get assurances that things are going to change, it relates to the offense. He's going to ask for a trade. That was more tame, much more tame. I think than her report from a few weeks ago, where she detailed six or seven different reasons to explain why he said that there are some internal issues that have been problematic because it was all over the place. It was the offensive design and play calling. It was the fact that guys took sides with Odo Beckham Jr. and there's still some lingering resentment toward Baker Mayfield. It was that people on the Browns in-house radio program dared to criticize Baker Mayfield. Although, hey, if they're all going to be employees of the same company, there is something to be said for not calling the guy out. It's one of the one of the flaws in having in-house media, but there were all sorts of things. And he never said boo about that. He never said a word about that. That's when he should have been far more prickly than this. I I feel like he just right now is feeling frustrated and he knows that this thing potentially could fall apart. But I think it's in his best interest to have the door open for the possibility of him wanting out. Because they may want him out, and if they want him out, it's far better for him if it looks like he wanted out. Miles, let me let me, let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. I'm 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 accessing Miles Simmons, the Browns fan, not Miles Simmons, okay. the objective reporter. Miles Simmons, right, the Browns so fan. Do you do you want Baker Mayfield back next year?
4: Oh boy, what's the alternative, right? I don't know what the alternative is, you know, because if Baker Mayfield is healthy. And if they are able to work things out, then yeah, if you give him some better weapons on the outside, I mean, none of the Browns wide receivers really scare anybody Jarvis Landry, you know, God love him. Like he's a good player, but I don't think he is the kind of number one caliber receiver that makes defensive coordinators stay up at night. I don't think they've really got a weapon at tight end that makes defensive coordinators stay up at night. What makes defensive coordinators stay up at night for the Browns is the running backs and Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. And Kareem Hunt hasn't been healthy all year. So, I, I mean, I don't think that Baker Mayfield should necessarily be not upset Over the way things worked out offensively, there were some clear issues with the Browns, and it was not just all on him. You know, when they're not scoring basically more than 17 points a game, that's not all on the QB. We've seen Baker Mayfield play well before. I don't know if it was just the injuries that made him so much worse this year, or the play calling, a combination of all of it. Um, But you know, unless there is a clear upgrade, I mean, like he's not a horrible quarterback; he's just average, and you need him to play at that level where he was in 2020, where it's more like above average to actually good.
2: I thought it was a yes or no question, but that's okay. I appreciate the explanation. And I think, I think your point is this, we got to go. We got to take a break. I know. We got to take a break. We got to take a break. (laughs) We got to take a break. But I think what you're saying is they should keep all options open and they should look around and make a decision as to what else is out there before they decide to keep Baker Mayfield. We're going to take a break. Antonio Brown did some talking about his friend,
0: So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just
4: $30. Tom is actually my friend, one of my close friends. Because when I say you, I'm your friend, that means I got your back. That means, to me though, that's what a friend means. You know, we play professional sports. Like, not everybody in sports is going to be your friend. Tom Brady's my friend. Why? Because I'm a good football player. He need me to play football, right? Tom can't do nothing by himself. He got to play on a team. This is a football game. Brady can't do by himself. But you guys are going to make it seem like he's just this horror guy. Bro, we're all humans, bro. We're all depending on someone else to do the job.
2: That's Antonio Brown on the Full Send Podcast. They got him into studio for a lengthy conversation. And I was happy to see that Antonio Brown understands why Tom Brady activated the whole Mother Teresa, Father Flanagan thing last year, bring him into his house, keep him out of trouble, right? It wasn't because Tom Brady felt some compulsion to help his fellow man. Tom Brady saw what Antonio Brown could do to help him win Super Bowl number 7. It was transactional, it was it was linear, and it was successful. And now that they've come to the conclusion that Antonio Brown no longer helps them get to where they want to go, they turn their back on Antonio Brown. And to his credit, Brown can see through it and he's willing to say something about it. I respect him for recognizing it and being willing to call it out.
4: Yeah, sure. I mean, I just wish somebody would have me on a podcast like that. I mean, not that I haven't been fired from PFT yet, but my God, I'd say the same kind of stuff about you. Mike Florio can't do anything without the rest of us. He just loves PFT. I mean, what's PFT going to be without the rest of us, huh? Just Mike Florio and everybody wants to crown Mike Florio.
2: But but, but you know what? There is a lot of wisdom in what he said. For a guy that we think, well, a guy that the Buccaneers want us to think is completely – unbalanced, and irrational. There was a lot of what he said that rings true. And, you know, their worst nightmare is that he would land with a team that they have to play in the postseason, and he went unclaimed on waivers today, which means he could sign with anyone else he wants. He could put Toradol in his ankle every week. He'd go out and play at 80%, and 80% of A.B. is 100% better than a fully healthy alternative for some of these teams. Uh, The other reason they have to worry about A.B. is – If he's going to start making good points, people are going to want him to keep talking. And he may have plenty of other things that he has to say. And it could get very interesting if Antonio Brown decides to keep spitting fire like he did today.
4: Well, yes, but like, okay, so I I went and I did listen to that whole thing, which was very lengthy. But fortunately, God made, you know, YouTube clips that can go at one point seven five speed. So it, you know, actually made Antonio Brown sound like he was talking in a normal cadence. But one of the weirdest things that he said in like this is kind of the delusional part that I think is maybe going to keep teams away from him is he was talking about the fact that his salary wasn't guaranteed. You know, Rob Gronkowski has guaranteed money and all this different stuff. And paraphrasing here, but what he basically said was, they called me to win a Super Bowl after I just came off suspension. Why am I on a prove it deal? That's like, dude, you answered your own question. You just came off suspension. So like, wh- what do you what do you mean that like your money should be guaranteed if you just came off a suspension, you can't be trusted to not go off and do something crazy now again if he's you know on the sideline and he gets fired like yeah i can really kind of understand the the adrenaline of that and throwing off the shoulder pads and then running off the field and acting as as he did just because that's a crazy situation um but i i just i don't know there, there were some things that antonio brown said in that that made sense like you know it is a transactional relationship he also was talking about you know how you shouldn't need excuses to give people compliments or give people flowers, things like that. Like I, I kind of agree with that too. And it was weird to agree with Antonio Brown, but there is maybe a lot more that he could say. And I think you're right, Mike, in the sense that look, if, if he keeps spouting off, if he keeps having platforms where he, I mean, sort of like Aaron Rodgers with McAfee can say whatever he wants for long stretches of time, there's going to be some more interesting things that he's going to say.
2: Let's take a quick break. When we return, we know Derrick Henry is getting back on the field for the Titans for the postseason. J.J. Watt may be back with the Arizona Cardinals as well. We'll address that and more when PFTPM continues right after this. Here's the J.J. Watt tweet that we flashed earlier just to see if you were paying attention. Arnold Schwarzenegger in the original Predator movie, peering around the tree. That's J.J. Watt on his way back for the Cardinals, apparently for the postseason, off of injured reserve following a cocktail of injuries that seemed to be very serious. Torn labrum, biceps, rotator cuff, he's back. And that may be the kick in the ass the Cardinals need, because they've lost something. They've lost four home games in a row, and it could be five this week if Russell Wilson comes in and sticks it to them. It's amazing how they've fallen. That Cowboys win helped. But it's amazing how they've fallen. Maybe they need J.J. Watt to help them get back up.
4: Well, it seemed like they were the best team in football for a long time. And then they just really kind of fell off so quickly. And so maybe it is but that something that they need. But I, I kind of am more concerned about their offense than their defense at this point. Just based on the way Kyler Murray hasn't necessarily been playing as well. Obviously, they missed DeAndre Hopkins. So we'll see what happens this week. But they've fallen out of the division lead. So... They're going to have to go on the road if the Rams win this week,
2: and which is actually good for the Cardinals because they've been awesome yeah. on the road. They should want to go on the road. They should ask to play all their playoff games at AT and T Stadium in Texas, frankly, uh, regardless of who the opponent is. All right, let's hit the mailbag. PFTP and Posse: Would Aaron Rodgers or who would Aaron Rodgers grant an interview request to him first? Me. Or Hub-ark-ish. I don't know. You may want to put Boomer Esiason in that mix as well. <laughs> Esiason today on WFAN suggesting that a source that he trusts, although then they tried to make it all seem like it was a bit after the fact, I guess, indicating that Aaron Rodgers was considering boycotting the Super Bowl over the NFL's COVID protocols. Rodgers has reacted on Twitter, calling it fake news. There's Aaron Rodgers. Careful because, oh, there's a bad word in there. Avert your eyes, children. Don't read the third line. Don't read the third line. Sims is having an impact on Aaron Rodgers. But anyway, Aaron Rodgers, Aaron not a fan of WFN. So uh, between Habarkish, Boomer Esiason, and me, I think he would just uh, not be interviewed by anyone.
4: I think you're the lesser of the three evils there. And you know what? He's always been the kind of guy to say, especially on Joe Rogan, why can't we have a conversation? I think that he should be open to having a conversation with you.
2: Well, and he should be appreciative of the fact that, that hey, I, I was at the front of the line saying that Hub Arcus should lose his vote and that it's bogus it true, for are. him to let his personal feelings get in the way of the fact that Aaron Rodgers is the MVP. But see, Aaron's never going to mention that because that undercuts his persecution complex. Tell Craig we in Purple Purgatory know Kirk Cousins will be the quarterback next year. Give me some names for a replacement for Coach Mike Zimmer. I don't know they're going to fire Zimmer. I don't know what they're going to do. This is the biggest test that ownership of the Vikings has had, I think, in the 16 years that they've held the team. I've joked around, and I only say it half-jokingly, they should trade for Kyle Shanahan. I think that's the only guy that can get the absolute most out of Kirk Cousins and put the team around him necessary to make this more than a middle-of-the-pack at best franchise, Miles.
4: Him or Sean McVay. I mean, not that the Rams would ever get rid of Sean McVay. But look, I mean, Kirk Cousins gave McVay a signed jersey that said, I owe you my career when McVay got hired as the Rams head coach. So that kind of tells you about their relationship.
2: Oh, and I've asked McVay face to face about Cousins. He lights up. He lights up about Cousins. So uh, he's one of the few who does. Vikings (laughs) fans... Not the same reaction. They're going to have a weird oh. off season, and who knows what it's going to look like next year when the Vikings get back together. We need to take a break because when we return, Miles, who's going to be put in the penalty box for hogging all the time on Baker Mayfield, is going to be replaced by Maria Taylor and Tony Dungy. We're going to get you ready for Week 18, something we taped earlier today. We'll be right back.
0: Want to make Mom's Day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th.
3: Hello, everyone. I hope you're having an amazing week. Maria Taylor alongside Tony Dungy and Mike Florio. And guess what, guys? We are back like we never left for a Week 18 preview, closing out the regular season together.
1: It's fun to be back. Unbelievable. It's already here.
2: Unbelievable. Season (laughs) flies by like it always does.
3: It does. And you know, obviously at the end of the season, we're all just kind of waiting to see what games have the most implications. So we've kind of like pulled out a few. We've also figured out what games Mike and coach want to really talk about. And let's start with the Saints and the Falcons because it's an opportunity really for the Falcons to spoil things for their division rivals. Obviously, it's a heated rivalry. They don't like each other. The Saints are coming to Atlanta with an opportunity to play themselves into the playoffs. And why wouldn't the Falcons want to spoil it? So, Coach, when you think about this matchup, though, we know the Falcons went on the road and got the victory in New Orleans uh, already this season, but there was a different quarterback at the helm. The, the game looked a little bit different. What changes in this iteration of Falcons Saints?
1: Well, the Saints' offensive attack definitely will be different uh, now, um, and, and that is a, a big issue. But I, I think Arthur Smith and the Falcons, from their standpoint, hey, let's finish the season strong let's build into the 2022 season here's a team we're playing against that's trying to get in the playoffs we're not there yet but we can show that we belong let's go out and win this game and I, I think that's going to be the Falcons point of view
2: yeah and absolutely when you can throw a wrench into a division rivals opportunity to get to the postseason and there is real hatred between the Falcons and the Saints I remember a time not that many years ago where the Saints I think, came to Atlanta, or the Falcons went to New Orleans, but there were eggs involved. I think it was the Saints in Atlanta. They egged the buses at the airport. That's how much, how much animosity there is, and it's amazing what the Falcons have done this year. Now, when they lose, they don't mess around. They get blown off the field, but they've won seven out of 16 games, and to finish eight and nine in a season where I don't know what we expected, but we should not expect eight wins. It's a great way for Arthur Smith to start his time. Terry Fontenot is the GM yeah. trying to turn a team around that was in a horrible cap situation, moving in the right direction, and they could be contenders for a postseason berth next year. And this is the right way to enter the offseason, getting a win and keeping the Saints out of the playoffs.
3: Well, it probably doesn't hurt that we've seen some uh, superstar performances from rookies like Kyle Pitts and Patterson, um, but Pitts just returned to practice. I believe it was limited. So what does that mean for the Falcons if one of their superstar you know, receivers, tight ends, is not able to take the field against the Saints, Mike?
2: Well, it's going to be a huge impact because we've seen what Pitts has done, especially because it took him a few weeks to get going, and he pulled up with that hamstring injury on Sunday against the Bills when he was in the midst of having what could have been a really good game in the snow in western New York. So it's going to to make it easier to focus on taking away Cordero Patterson if you don't have to worry about Kyle Pitts, and it makes it easier for the Saints, who have a very good defense. And look, all the other playoff teams – in the NFC field should be rooting for the Falcons in this. Although, you know what? I don't know who you're better off with, the Saints or the 49ers. Either way, you're going to have a team that gets into the playoffs that can really screw things up for the teams that are winning divisions and sitting back and waiting to see who comes to town. We know the 49ers can beat anyone, but we know the Saints can too. I think either of those two teams, whichever one gets in, could be very dangerous when it's time to to play those playoff games. Maybe the playoff team should just be happy that both of them aren't getting in, that it's only going to be one of them.
1: Mike, I I can tell you one team that's rooting for the Falcons this week, and that's Tampa Bay. They don't want to see the Saints again in the playoffs. (laughs) And
3: we don't need to see them either because we, we definitely picked the wrong team when we had them on Sunday Night Football. The Saints got us all together and only Drew Brees. Got that pick right. Um, All right, Mike, you brought up the 49ers, so let's talk about their visit to SoFi. Uh, It's a Rams team, obviously, that is looking to clinch the NFC West. The opportunities are out there. We've seen up-and-down play from Matthew Stafford. We've seen amazing play from Cooper Cup. And the quarterback situation with the 49ers, we would love to get some clarification on because will it be Jimmy Garoppolo, will it be Trey Lance? And obviously that makes a difference moving forward. But, Coach, when you think about the headline of this game, uh, what stands out to you?
1: Well, I think it's the, the mojo that the 49ers have had over the Rams. doesn't matter what the records are. The Rams, you know, had a Super Bowl team a couple of years ago, but they have struggled with the 49ers. And it's just that physical run offense. They run right downhill, right at Aaron Donnell in that defensive line. They don't get into obvious pass situations. And they've got enough pressure package uh, on defense to pressure Matthew Stafford. So uh, this is going to be an interesting game. The Rams should win it. You know, you feel like, gosh, they're in the driver's seat, but they have struggled with the 49ers.
2: Jimmy Garoppolo was limited in practice Wednesday and Thursday, and it looks like they are leaning in the direction of giving him the opportunity. This is a big game. They've won five in a row against the Rams, as Coach said. But the Rams do have that extra incentive. Knock the 49ers out for the same reason the Buccaneers don't want the Saints in the playoff Mm -hmm. field The Rams shouldn't want the 49ers. You don't want to come across a division rival with your entire season riding on it, and this is the opportunity for the Rams to keep the 49ers out and not have to worry about them again. The 49ers for whatever reason have been able to master the Rams. I think it helps that Kyle Shanahan knows the way Sean McVay coaches. They were together in Washington. McVay worked for Shanahan, and I think Shanahan took much better notes on McVay than McVay took on Shanahan because Shanahan has had the better of McVay. But now McVay's got the best team he's had even with Stafford being up and down Von Miller has started to come into his own as a member of that defense Odo Beckham is getting better and better every week those mid-season acquisitions are finally starting to pay off five straight wins and the last two the Rams haven't been very good and they still won those games that has to give them a ton of confidence going into this game and the playoffs
3: I have a question for you, Coach. Are you more concerned with Matthew Stafford's throwing three picks or the way that he was able to establish the comeback and throw you know, two darts in the fourth quarter to win the game, even though he put his team into a hole? Uh, I don't know. What concerns you most, or what have you seen in his play as of late?
1: Well, I think if I'm coaching, I feel like I can coach those interceptions out of him and say, hey, we've got to take care of the ball early in the game. But if I'm behind and – Uh, We've got to come back in the fourth quarter. You can't put that into a quarterback. Matthew Stafford's got that, and I think Sean McVay is going to feel good about that. No matter how we play, if we're close at the end, Matthew Stafford, Odell Beckham, Cooper Cup, Van Jefferson, these guys can, can make the play for us to win the game in the fourth quarter. So I think Coach McVay is feeling pretty good about Stafford, even with the interceptions right now.
3: Your thoughts, Mike?
2: Um, look, I, I, I agree uh, completely with where this is all going for the Rams. They're moving in the right direction. And Stafford, the question is this he's never played in games like this in his entire career. He's had a handful of playoff games, they've lost. The, the Lions have never been a front runner, they've never had that pressure. This is all new to him. And I, I, I think that it's incumbent on Sean McVay to challenge him, to push him, to test him, to get him ready for what he's going to face. Because I feel like that's what's gone on the past couple of weeks. He's not used to being in these late-season games where uh, you're with a team that is regarded as one of the great teams in the conference. It's always been scratching and clawing as a member of the Lions. So he's got to develop on the fly that attitude that we see most quarterbacks in their 30s who have plenty of playoff experience uh, project. He doesn't have that.
1: But that's where I feel like he should be okay going into these playoffs because he has never gone in with the best team. Now you you say, hey, I'm playing a playoff game, but I've got a better team. And that's got to relax you a little bit. Um, In the past when he's gone in with Detroit, I've got to make plays. I've got to win this game. I've got to do this. He's got so much around him now. I think he can relax. I I think we're going to see the best Matthew Stafford in the playoffs. I really do.
3: Okay, good. So I would say that you guys are airing on encouraged and not concerned when it comes to Matthew Stafford and his play uh, moving forward. Okay, obviously there's going to be a lot of concerns when we talk about the Jaguars, but let's talk about the Colts coming into town and trying to do something that they haven't been able to do in six tries, and that's get a win, actually, against the Jags in Jacksonville, which is an interesting stat. Mike Florio, that's something that like you and I would think is really interesting. That's something that coach would be like, who cares? <laughs> this is a better team. Uh, What do you make of the Indianapolis Colts and obviously having to go and get a win in Jacksonville, but probably wanting to build more importantly to the playoffs if they try to make it to their third playoff in four years?
1: Well, I'll say this. I'll start. The Colts should win this game, but it's not going to be as easy as people think, even though Jacksonville hasn't won many games. They don't have a great team. I remember 2003. uh, I was with the Colts. We're in the same situation. We're playing Houston expansion team. All we had to do is win the game. We're going to win the division. Should win it easily. We were behind the whole game, had to score twice in the last three minutes to win the game. And it's just, the the other, Jacksonville can come out, they can play relaxed, they can be the spoiler, they can uh, take chances, they can gamble, all the pressures on Indy. Now they should win it, I believe they will win it, but it's not going to be easy.
2: I'm just concerned about the psyche of the Jaguars at this point. We've seen no positive upswing from the Jaguars since the firing of Urban Meyer they give up 50 points to the Patriots last weekend I kind of feel like they're just checking the boxes to get to the offseason figure out where they're going to go from here it's kind of an indictment of Daryl Bevel as the interim head coach that they haven't had any type of a positive bump following the departure of Urban Meyer and I, I don't know how many fans are going to show up dressed in clown suits on Sunday but that's become a thing for the Jaguars fans aren't happy that Trent has already been ordained as the GM moving forward, and there's been a big push this week. So I don't know how that swings for the Jaguars, but it is going to be a potential reality. And, and I, put it, I put it this way, Coach. If the Colts can't beat a 2-14 and team to punch a ticket to the playoffs, then they got no business being in the playoffs. That's the ultimate litmus test. If you can't beat a team that is that low, that is that downtrodden, to get in, then you don't want to play an actual playoff team on the road the following week.
1: No, you're right, and that, that Jaguars-Patriots uh, game was ugly, and you just don't know how many of the Jags players are just saying, I don't want to get hurt in this last game of the year. You, know, you don't know what their mentality is, but um, I, I agree with you. I think the Colts will win it. They should win it, and uh, that's going to you know, have some people in, in Baltimore and Pittsburgh uh, kind of uh, on, on edge there, so to speak.
3: Well, all of our eyes will be watching for the clown out Um, The Jaguars have lost eight straight games and then the Colts are coming to town. We all love to watch Jonathan Taylor run the ball. He's got uh, 10 games of at least 100 yards rushing, which is very impressive. Uh, But you bring up the the coaching decision that has to be made in Jacksonville. And what type of coach as the Jaguars go through this coaching search, Mike Florio, um, what are they looking for? Or what are some of the interviews and coaches that they're thinking about bringing in to solve the issues that exist in Jacksonville?
2: Well, you know, they cast a pretty broad net with coaches that they requested the opportunity to interview when the window opened a couple of weeks ago. A few of them have declined for now. The fact that they've decided to keep Trent Baalke around is going to potentially keep some viable candidates who may have options elsewhere from being interested. That's just a dynamic that needs to be processed by whoever the candidates are. But the key is going to be having someone who can develop Trevor Lawrence. He was... The, the crown jewel of the 2021 draft class. He's the franchise quarterback. He's the difference maker, and he's had a wasted season as a rookie. And I, I know that, look, he, he shouldn't have any real say in what goes on here, but they do need to be concerned about whoever this coach is, whatever staff has put in place, moving Trevor Lawrence in the direction that they need him to move in and getting the most out of him as a player, because Where he goes is where the Jaguars are going to go over the next five or ten years, Coach.
1: Yeah, and, uh, you know, I've thrown this name out before, and and I'll say it again. I think Jim Caldwell is the best candidate for Jacksonville for a number of reasons. First of all, they need stability and class and doing things in a first-class manner, and Jim Caldwell is going to bring that. And then, Mike, you mentioned developing Trevor Lawrence. Well, you look at Jim's record with young quarterbacks. He came in with Peyton Manning in Peyton's fifth year, and you look at Peyton's numbers after being with Jim Caldwell, a tremendous difference. Then he went to Baltimore, and Joe Flacco took him to a Super Bowl. Matthew Stafford, outstanding in his work with Stafford and turning him into a playoff-caliber quarterback. I know what Jim can do with quarterbacks, and he'll be somebody that could work with Trent Balky. Jim Caldwell can work with anybody. And so uh, I just throw that out for Jaguars management Uh, You better check out Jim Caldwell.
3: (laughs) Uh, Some free advice from Tony Dungy. Okay, take it or leave it, but trust us, it is good advice always. Uh, So that's the Jaguars sitting at 2 and 14. They've got the Colts coming into town, and obviously a lot more on the plate for the Colts than the Jags. Meanwhile, there's a lot on the line for the Raiders taking on the Chargers, guys. For three straight weeks, we've seen the Raiders really having to endure nail biters, but every single game was a step closer to their playoff hopes. And now they're in a situation, they continue to win, they could possibly make it to their second playoff appearance in 19 seasons <laughs> for the Raiders. How have they been able to do it, Coach? How, how have they made it to this point, considering all the adversity and everything they've been through this season?
1: I have to give a lot of credit to Rich Basaccia, stepping in to a a really tough situation and keeping them alive, keeping them motivated, keeping them together. You know, you lose your your head coach, your offensive play caller, and all the drama that went along with that, with, with John Gruden having to step down. And then the Henry Ruggs situation. Then you lose Darren Waller, another one of your great offensive players. And you're kind of going back and forth handling that, Then you have the game against Kansas City where you get blown out, and it looks like the season's over. But those players didn't quit. They stayed in there. They won some games that uh, defy logic. But Rich has done a great job of just getting everybody to come to work and and work hard and be on the same page. And they've got a chance to a home game to to make it to the playoffs. So I I think they're in great shape, and I, I think Rich has done a tremendous job.
2: It really is amazing when you look at their season. They started 3-0. and They were 5-2 and at their bye. Coming out of their bye, they went 1-5, with the only victory being that huge win over the Cowboys on Thanksgiving. And then just as it was falling apart, and remember how upset they were that their game against the Browns got delayed from a Saturday to a Monday, and they were salty about that. They're at the airport. They don't know what they're going to do. Players were complaining. Why are the Browns getting the two extra days? And they won that game and that changed everything. They've won three in a row, and here they are. And that win over the Colts on the road was the, the crowning achievement for the team this year that puts them right in the mix. And now it all comes down to one game after everything they've been through with John Gruden and Henry Ruggs and Rich Basaccia having to take over and the ups and the downs and the highs and the lows to have it come down to one game at home where John Madden's wife and family are going to light the Al Davis torch. You know, I, I know that home field advantage doesn't mean what it used to a couple of years ago, but But it's going to be a heck of a scene in Las Vegas. And I just feel like all those intangibles add up for the Raiders. And Derek Carr has been trying to prove that he belongs his entire career. This would be his greatest achievement yet if he can will this team to the postseason. And he's really become the heart and the soul and the face of the Raiders post-John Gruden. If they can pull this off, it's a huge, huge accomplishment for him and for the franchise.
1: And you're right, Mike, the emotion, energy, that's going to say something.
3: I was just going to say that he missed the last playoff first with that broken ankle, too, in 2016. So I was just adding to all the allure and the storylines that you were going with. But go ahead, Coach.
1: No, the emotion, the energy, all of that, the passion, it's going to come out from the Raiders. Uh, They're going to be a tough team to deal with uh, Sunday night, no question about it.
3: Well, let's talk about the Chargers a little bit because this is a team with Justin Herbert. I mean, he's been playing out of his mind this season. The quarterback has really stepped into his own. Um, When you're going into an environment where you know that there's so much to play for, everything that we've just talked about, the emotions and what's going to be there in that stadium, uh, how do you think the Chargers will respond, Coach?
1: I think their offense is going to be fine. They've got big play people. They've been hot all year. My question is with the defense, Uh, they've got to stop Josh Jacobs early on. That's going to be the key. And then can they limit those big plays from from Derek Carr? Uh, Their Achilles heel has been their run defense. And I I see the Raiders running right at them, see if they can hold up. But if the defense does does the job, they're going to be in good shape. This is going to be a high-scoring game, in my opinion.
2: It's amazing when you look at their season. They've won at Kansas City, one of the best teams in the AFC. They won at Philadelphia, a playoff team in the NFC. They won at Cincinnati 41-22. to And maybe one of the reasons why they're good on the road is they're always on the road because they really don't have much of a fan base showing up at their stadium now. Um, but but they've been so inconsistent, they're hard to trust. That's the problem. Every time you get a great game out of the Chargers, you get a bad game out of the Chargers. And for as good as Justin Herbert has been, and that defense coach, you're right, it lets them down by not stopping the run and negating whatever great things Justin Herbert can do. And Brandon Staley's been controversial at times with his commitment to analytics and going for it on fourth down and, and all those. Look, there, there, there's, there's no numbers to play in this game. The only number is win it. And, and he needs to set aside the charts and just focus on his gut feeling based on 16 games now as a head coach. What's the right thing to do that is pointed toward winning this game this night, so they can get to the playoffs. And uh, yeah, it's it's uh, you couldn't ask for anything other than this: uh, a holy roller rematch uh, between two AFL teams. One gets in and one gets out, and uh, it's going to be a great, great game. <laughs>
3: You know, normally we would end the show on whatever is the Sunday night football game, but just so you guys know out there, we have a group text. Before we all get together, we get to decide which games we want, and Mr. Mike Florio wanted to add one game to our list that was not originally on it. And what game is that, Mike? Well, it's not
2: Vikings-Bears, which some may think would have been my choice. <laughs> it's I I, I just – I, I for, for the final game of Ben Roethlisberger's career, unless – the Jaguars beat the Colts, and the Steelers beat the Ravens. He's got to go to Baltimore. And the Steelers have been abysmal away from home this year. They haven't won a road game since October 31 at Cleveland. They're great at home. They hadn't lost at home and haven't lost at home since week three against the Bengals. They had that one tie against the Lions. All the rest have been wins. But for as great as it was on Monday night, and as special of a moment as it was, with everything that went on with the Ben Roethlisberger appreciation, this is going to be the exact opposite and I'm sure now and and my guess is when he made it known that this is this is it for him he did it understanding that he's writing a check that you know he's gonna have to He's going to have to honor with the last game of his career at Baltimore. They're bringing Terrell Suggs in to honor him. He's the guy that sacked Ben Roethlisberger more than anyone else. The Ravens hate the Steelers. The Ravens are going to want to make this day as miserable as it can be for Ben Roethlisberger. And uh, I, I think they're going to succeed. And it's going to be 180 degrees different from what we saw on Monday night when the Ravens get their last crack at Ben Roethlisberger, coach.
1: Yeah, it will definitely not be warm and fuzzy. They will not be rolling out, uh, you know, (laughs) uh, lawn chairs and uh, those kind of gifts for for Ben on his farewell (laughs) tour. This is going to be blood and guts, and uh, those Ravens would like nothing more than to get a win over Ben Roethlisberger in his last game.
3: Well, I love the fact that we get to end week 18 with blood and guts. Like, there's nothing else that can top (laughs) our entire end of the regular season preview than those two words. And we're going to bring all of that to you on Football Night in America starting at 7 Eastern on NBC. And, of course, a great Sunday night football game coming your way with the Chargers on the road taking on the Raiders. Thanks so much for joining us, guys. Everyone have an amazing weekend, and we'll see you on Sunday.
1: Thanks, Maria. All right. See you Sunday.